Welcome back to another episode of the Bacon Away Podcast. As always, this is Steve, and I'm so glad to have you here with me today. I want to say it's April 3rd. April 3rd, Friday, early in the morning, at the time of this recording, and this is episode 101 of the Bacon Away Podcast. Uh, it feels good to say that. It feels good to be past that 100 mark that I've been tracking on for so long. A few of you may have uh, noticed last episode was obviously episode 100. I didn't really, you know, make big fanfare about it because who the heck really cares besides me, right? Um, like, just do the thing, Steve. But <laughs> uh, glad to be here with you for episode 101. Glad to be coming to you in the middle of this weird and really, I don't even know, indescribable time. Sitting here in the Pacific Northwest, we're in the middle of one of these corona hotspots. COVID-19 lockdown is in full effect. We're in week three of it here. And uh, last episode, I read Edgar Allan Poe's the Mask of the Red Death as sort of a way of, you know, beginning to deal with this situation in the context of, like, the podcast, right? I think it, it's coloring almost everybody's content to some extent right now, to varying degrees, whether you're a YouTuber, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're a creator who's working on programming that's like going out on actual tele broadcast television somewhere. It's inescapable right now. Our intro was from my girl Cardi B warning us all about the coronavirus and how that shit is getting real. And uh, without spending the entire episode with my personal anecdotes about this, I, I will share a little bit of what our current status is for you, especially for those of you who might be so fortunate that you're in some far-flung corner of the world where this hasn't impacted you that heavily just yet. Um, and in fact, this is consider this your invitation to reach out, Drop me an email. Uh, drop me a comment on one of my videos on the YouTube channel. Let me know how you're doing. Uh, let me know if this crisis somehow hasn't impacted you, you know, wherever you might be listening from. Um, be great to hear and understand that maybe it's not like this everywhere right now. I don't know. But... I've got a lot. I've got a lot for you this episode, so let's, you know, start getting into it. Um, on that quarantine update, those of you who've been listening for a while know we're here in in Seattle. We're in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Redmond, Washington, had almost like two dozen deaths at one, like one old folks' home. Like madness. I can't even imagine what the folks in that area, you know the affected families are dealing with right now. I mean, I can be as crass as I want and, you know, act like 
some rich old fuckers in Redmond in Microsoft's uh, stronghold. Uh, you know, grandparents of Microsofties don't matter as much to me or that they're boomers and da-da-da. Uh, but I'm not that I'm not that person. I, I don't wish this on anyone. I don't wish um, folks to be losing their grandparents, their patriarchs and matriarchs to a ridiculous super flu. So it's actually very sobering to realize what's going on around here for so many people. I will say none of us in, in my household are sick right now. As far as I know, none of my family members, uh, you know, in different states, uh, even here in the state, um, are, you know, sick at all. Uh, nobody has been yet. My parents are down in uh, Nevada. They're not sick. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure. As far as I know, nobody on our block is sick yet. Um, although I don't know that anybody would let us know if they were, I suppose, outside of a couple of houses. Um, that's an interesting question, right? Like, what are you, you going to? hang a sign on your door or hang a, you know, a red sea on your door <laughs> if you're an infected corona house or how long until they've got us doing that. Oh, my goodness. All right. That's what I'm going to try not to do here for you today is sit here and rampantly speculate about the, you know, 5G activated virus theories that are going around the Internet or talk about how this corona lockdown is some ultra strategic move by QAnon and the uh, swamp drainers to somehow magically cure the world of child traffickers and the deep state uh, all in one shot uh, like I just can't get there guys if, if that's what you came here for you're going to be disappointed because I I don't go there. I never go there, um, and I'm not going to because I don't – it it doesn't – as interesting as some of these notions are, they don't really – they don't really ring true with me for a lot of reasons, right? And And we probably don't need to belabor it. We'll continue to treat – interesting and appropriate theories with all due seriousness and discuss them as needed and obviously my position will and always does evolve in the face of new information and new understanding but I think a lot of people were just as scared about 4G when it came around as we are about 5G now uh, it's been pointed out somewhere, well, many places on the internet, that similarly we were afraid of mobile phones, period, when they were first introduced uh, as a technology. That fear has never gone away in some places, and, and there's still many folks, I'll say it myself included, who are you know cautious about our phones and the way we use them the extent of time we spend on our handsets like on long phone calls with the handset 
pressed to our head. Um, most of us have adopted best practices for using our phones that include using the speaker or using a headset of some kind to establish a bit of distance between yourself and that radio that's in your hand. FM radio was feared when it was introduced and rolled out. So the 5G causing coronavirus, this being some weaponization of like, you know, nanobots that are being chemtrailed sprayed on us. Ah, come on. I, I smoke a lot of weed, you guys, but maybe not enough. I'm not there yet. So, yeah, nobody's sick. Um, I've mentioned to you guys before, one of the things I do for extra income is I, I deliver with Amazon Flex. Uh, so I'll tell you firsthand right now, and this is just between us chickens here, hopefully nobody from Amazon corporate's listening, but delivery blocks here in the Seattle area have really dried up to a trickle. Uh, we're used to most of us seeing you know, dozens of offers in the app every single day and having a lot of blocks, as they're referred to, to pick from. Um, I have personally, myself, been loaded light several times lately, uh, meaning I think my record so far is I delivered two packages one day. When I showed up for a block that was supposed to be 4.5 hours long and would ordinarily have had something in the like neighborhood of 60 packages or so. Um, I've, I've picked up four and six packages for a route. So the, uh, the, the, the distribution center where I go in, very empty skeleton crew. They are doing everything they can to sort of uh, keep buffers between us drivers and the individuals uh, setting us up our routes there's no no longer any physical contact between them and for example our IDs when you you know scan in to go to work for the day um, so that's an interesting development Amazon of course is deemed an essential business um, I would think people want and need their essentials just as much as ever right now more so than ever because they're not able to get out as much for them. So I, I anticipate that will swing back around and the longer this lockdown goes on, I think the more demand there will be for delivery personnel to keep things moving to, to folks' homes. So we'll keep watching that, but it has been really hard to stay busy with Flex lately, which is you know surprising compared to the amount of available work there has been up to this point. This is directly tied to the so-called lockdown. Amazon did confirm last week one of the workers in one of the Seattle warehouses had this uh, COVID-19 as well. So, you know, I, I don't think I've been exposed yet in any way. Whenever I go in right now to pick up, I do so masked up, gloved up, hanny sannied up. So... Uh, just doing everything I can to mitigate, right? Keep it mellow. Um, Nicole, my wife, 
high school math teacher. She's out of school. Everybody's home. My son, second grader, uh, Kenny, home from school. Our four-year-old, of course, is home as well at this point. He's not going to daycare anymore. Mom's not going to work. He's not going to daycare. Uh, of course, she is going to work. We're, you know, everybody in the state is homeschooling in some form right now. We're fortunate. Nicole teaches in Bellevue School District. Kenny goes to Bellevue School District. It's one of the better off school districts in Western Washington. Uh, even my second grader was able to, my wife was able to request and receive, uh, and, and it was a good thing she grabbed this when she did, but uh, a couple weeks ago she requested and received a laptop from the district to help my son you know, keep up with work here at home. I mean, we've got a desktop up here in my room, but he's certainly not going to do his homework from my podcasting studio where I've got dab rigs and bongs around up in here and stuff. Uh, you know, he, uh, we don't have extra laptops uh, like a lot of families don't. So we were fortunate to be able to request and gain access to that resource so he can attend his teacher's, you know, remote classes. And uh, even his second grade teacher is remoting in with her students like every day right now. It's amazing. It's actually neat to watch my son and how fast he's picking up a lot more advanced, you know, navigating of UIs and getting in and out of all sorts of different apps that they're using to facilitate the teaching right now. Um, I think yesterday we just heard that the stay-at-home instructions for our state are being extended to May 3rd. So we're already in week three of this. It's the first week of April right now. We've got four or five more weeks of this, four more weeks of this right now with no real you know, guarantee that that's going to be the end of it. Taking kids out of school all the way to May 3rd, you're really pushing it for even restarting by the end of the year, honestly. So, you know, I think a lot of high school seniors are in danger of not having a prom, probably not having a traditional graduation ceremony uh, at the conclusion of this year. So that's really interesting. Um, I think the person in our house hit the hardest so much by this is probably our four-year-old son, Royce. Uh, you know, this little guy has to watch us all go about our, you know, business each day. Kenny logging into his Duolingo Spanish, Kenny logging into his remote classes, his mom teaching remote classes and, and having meetings with other educators and with the district. You know, right in front of him with headphones on in the living room, you know, at her makeshift workstation. Um, this poor little guy has to try to entertain himself every day for much of the day with only the barest attention, you know, from us. He used to go to a rich, fun, active preschool filled with a bunch of friends that he's been you know, with since he was born almost. Uh, preschool with, you know, great curriculum with all sorts of activities that he would do every day. 
you know, and, and it's, it's on us to do more for him, to give him more to fill his day, to keep him getting something resembling an education. Uh, it's tough with a toddler. It's tough with a kid who still wants to eat candy for breakfast every day and wears pajamas 24 hours a day. Um, and we've broken everybody's routines, right? Everybody's routine is profoundly broken right now. Kids are staying up later, school day or not. Uh, eating habits are probably getting weird already for a lot of people. I know these guys are bored, so they're going for snacks a lot. Getting stuff just because what else is there to do? So, we're, you know, we're talking about it actively right now and trying to figure out what what more to do for little Roycey to keep him happy and keep him learning during this time. Um, open to suggestions. <laughs> soliciting parenting advice email talk to us at bakedandawake.com <laughs> oh man so you know that's that's what you know that's our status right now right everybody's working from home I'm barely working I'm lucky to have something I got a couple of blocks lined up for the next few days so we'll keep checking that app nonstop and try to stay busy so I'm not one of the almost 10 million people who have tried to apply for unemployment uh, in the past week, thank goodness, and luckily, I would consider my wife's job pretty essential as well, so hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, fingers and toes crossed, we'll be able to weather this together. Um, on that topic, though, you know, so that's the status. What actions are we taking? What are we doing about it? Right, well, I'm glad you asked. Okay, because we are doing what we can about it. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen posts lately from me showing garden progress, stuff that we're doing with the backyard garden with the greenhouse. Um, we, we built a second small greenhouse, a cold frame greenhouse. Harbor Freight sells a uh, little bit bigger than a 6x6 six six greenhouse for... $110 with no discounts, no coupons. Everybody who knows Harbor Freight knows you can probably get a discount or a coupon on that anytime. I think we paid $87 for this little greenhouse and I went and bought some 4x4 fence post footers and some 2x4s and built a footer for it. Threw some gravel down. Definitely spent more in lumber for the footer and gravel and sand for the interior floor than we did on the greenhouse itself but absolutely love it we're big uh believers in greenhouses and have a slightly larger uh slightly more full powered rigid harbor freight greenhouse that we built a couple seasons ago this is going into like our third season with that six by eight unit so the new greenhouse will be the transition home for plants that have outgrown the six by eight and need to begin to get hardened and moved out into the garden proper. And then come fall, we'll use both greenhouses to extend the growing season for anything that's, you know, fall crops and winter crops and things that we're trying to overwinter and keep alive. So if you're 
interested in gardening, if you're interested in, you know, so-called homesteading, we don't really call it that too much these days. Uh, it's, I mean, we're suburban Seattleites. You come in our backyard, you'd wonder what the fuck's going on around here, <laughs> whether or not it's a homestead. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're a suburban home and uh, just doing everything we can to farm it up in the old backyard. So, uh, greenhouse is built. We built a new planter, filled it with potatoes, a four by eight planter, put over 60 potato starts in it. I'm going to be doing, we will be doing some additional potatoes in, uh, the sack method. Okay. A lot of people grow tomatoes in containers or in burlap bags or, all sorts of different like soft bags because you can roll the bag up and make it taller as you continue to add soil to the top of your potato plants the more you pile them up they'll just keep making potatoes underneath the soil line so the bigger you can build your potato bin mound whatever you, you can have potentially more potatoes in it so we did some in the ground that i'll be piling topsoil on top of and probably end up with a surplus soil heap of some kind towards harvest time that'll get distributed out to other beds but uh the bag method is pretty good too definitely one to try um we'll share them when i uh, get those planted as well in the next few days we have a few more potato starts to still do we've got a couple hundred onions started well closer to three or four hundred onions started uh a lot of garlic started several different kinds of onions too uh, so you know these are crops that we hope will be hardy that we hope will uh, store very well and stable for fall and winter uh, and of course you know these are staple crops uh, a lot of other stuff has started in the greenhouse we don't need to give you the whole list anybody who's really interested in you know Washington State growing season and what we have or haven't planted yet just follow me on Instagram follow my wife on Instagram at Bluebird Farms um, where you'll see a lot more garden specific and laying hen specific and uh, our quail we have quail little tiny birds uh, that are for eggs and for meat as well all uh, at Nicole's account at Bluebird Farms so uh, give her a follow check that out it's a great way to keep closer tabs on what's going on in the garden because i'm a little bit hit or miss with what i share about the garden on my own instagram but you know basically this is about trying to flex that land harder trying to leverage what little we've got as hard as we can grow a usable amount of food not just a hobby novelty amount of food so uh wish us luck you know i'm not over here planting cornfields yet and i'm not over here bringing in a wheat crop or anything or growing oats it's veggies it's fruit trees and berry trees and as much as we can do with our honeybees i mean we we do have a lot going on around here nicole has been really familiarizing herself with and practicing food fermentation lately so we've already and have been doing pickling and canning of different 
vegetables from the garden for a few years now. We've recently fermented some homemade sauerkraut with ginger that was absolutely delicious. We made a corned beef the other day, and when I, while I usually make the traditional uh, leftover, you know, made made corned beef around St. Patty's. Didn't I? Don't think it was on St. Patty's that we had it, but. Um, Usually I make bubble squeak as the leftovers dish, which some of you may be familiar with. But uh, Nicole's dad had mentioned to her that he usually makes Rubens after the fact. And I was like, what the heck have we been doing? <laughs> we need to make Rubens. So, which of course she heartily agreed to. And um, I was like, I don't, I don't think we've ever had a bottle of Thousand Island in the house. <laughs> So, uh, you guys, you can make Thousand Island hecka easy. Just look that stuff up. Recipes abound for that. We found a simple, straightforward Thousand Island, homemade Thousand Island recipe. It was like vinegar and mayo and, uh, you know, some pickle or relish, sweet relish. Uh, and you could do it with pickles if you wanted to instead, if you wanted a tartar, you know, sauce. Uh, I think a little ketchup. You know, and there wasn't much else. Delicious. Absolutely. First off, the Thousand Island recipe was phenomenal and tasted better than anything I recall having had recently. Uh, the corned beef was bomb because we're great cooks, so that's what's up with that. And, uh, yeah, homemade Rubens were phenomenal. Uh, as a matter of fact, I need to do another corned beef, like, stat, because now I know how to make Rubens at home, and it's on. We used our sauerkraut on that Reuben and that was the icing on the cake for that one that was I almost left the house with the sandwich I was taking it on the run with me and I almost left the house without the sauerkraut and my wife luckily reminded me she's like hey didn't you put that together without this and I was like oh my god <laughs> went back and got it so uh yeah guys that's the update that's what we've been doing to steel ourselves against, like, corona paralysis. Uh, in order to feel like you're not helpless, assert what power you have. Take what action you can. This is the year to treat your garden like more than a hobby. This is the year to... Begin to learn about food preservation if you haven't. Just as much as all, all the food preservation methods I just mentioned, another one that we employ that we really love is our food dehydrator. Dehydrated fruit, delicious, wonderful snack, still has a lot of nutritional value. Certainly, you can dry meats as well as fruits and vegetables, so uh, there's a lot you can do there. If you have a smoker, there's another method that combined with other methods you can use to cure meats and prepare them for longer term storage. And that goes for, you know, fish and, and poultry just as much as it does for like the beef and the ribs and things and the jerkies. So these are the things that we're doing to try to Just give ourselves a sense of 
at least we're trying. Coming up on 30 minutes in. This is gonna be this is gonna be a long one. So, you know, I'm not gonna be mad at you if you have to take it in two sittings. I'm not gonna be mad at you if you need to listen to me at 1.25x or 1.5x. Do what you gotta do. You know. I I personally don't think you want to do that when we're about to session here in a second, puff one, and talk about something that has been like creeping back into my consciousness probably for the last month now. I think I became aware of it consciously a couple of weeks ago. Decided maybe about a week ago that it was time to revisit this topic, go look it back up on the web, listen to some people talking about it again, listen to some people read through this particular document. Because it was ringing a bell somewhere inside my head. Uh, About a year ago, I heard a podcast episode about this topic from my friends over at Bones and Tubs. And uh, the topic, without further ado, is one originally presented by a now-deceased former like whistleblower, William Bill Cooper. Okay. This is the same guy who people speculate is, uh, has been, you know, is actually Alex Jones today, uh, that, you know, he was replaced in some way, uh, or that he became Alex Jones after his so-called demise. So-called, I mean, the guy's dead. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to go into Bill Cooper today. We're not going to talk about whether he was assassinated or not or died of natural causes. He, during his life, claimed that he was the victim of several attempts on his life. Uh, he claimed that if he did die uh, an early death, it would be, you could you could take it to the bank that it was foul play. So, interesting guy. Uh Bones and Tubbs did a good treatment on this topic, which was presented in Bill Cooper's book, um, Behold a Pale Horse, I think, was the title of his book. And in his book, he presented this document known as Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, which ostensibly was found, like, inside of a printer... At an estate sale, okay. So a a like a, a not even a booklet, like mimeographed or xeroxed pages, a stack of pages with no copyright notice or publisher's name, but that nevertheless seemed to be a like manual from who I don't know. A think tank, a agency, a alphabet soup agency, some sort of proto deep state. You know, what's that? I was thinking of like centers for foreign policy or you know, those weird organizations that secretly, like that glamis calling website that I mentioned at my last episode. For God's sakes, like that, like some, like some creepy secret. Illuminati fucking crew who's off on on one of their own <laughs> and who are 
working at projects that we know nothing about. So this surfaced back in the early 90s, mid-90s, nope, early 90s, 91. And I'm going to read most of it now for you. And then we're going to decide if any of it's resonating, right? Now, as always, what I've done for you here is included a link to a PDF version of this document in the show notes, along with links to referencing just about everything else of import that uh, I've mentioned so far. So I always try to do a good job for you in the show notes. If you want to read this in full yourself or save a copy of this for your personal research archive, then just direct yourself to the show notes below the episode, wherever you're listening to it. And if for some reason you can't find the link or the link is broken, like if you're getting it you know, through an oddball podcatcher or something like that, uh, just email me. Talk to us at bakedinawake.com. I'll get you, I'll get you straightened out. So jumping right in to Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, and now is the time to spark it up if you haven't yet. Below the title, we see a subtitle that says, An Introduction Programming Manual. Operations Research Technical Manual, TW-SW7905.1. The following document is taken from two sources. The first was acquired on a website of which I can't remember the address, in parentheses, listing it as a source book titled Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper, Light Technology Publishing, 1991. The second source is a crudely copied booklet, which does not contain a copyright notice or a publisher's name. With the exception of the foreword, the preface, the main thing that was missing from the first source was the illustrations. As we begin comparing the two, we realized that the illustrations and the accompanying text, also missing from the first in parentheses, made up a significant part of the document. This has now been restored by the lawful path in like all capitals, the like capital T, the capital L, lawful, capital P, path. So that's somebody to look up, the lawful path. And so, as far as I know, is the only internet copy available complete with the illustrations. We have no first-hand knowledge that this document is genuine. However, many of the concepts contained herein are certainly reasonable, important, and bear strong consideration. If anyone has additional knowledge about this source of this document, has better copies of the illustrations than the ones posted here, has any missing pieces to this document, or has any comments which can improve upon the quality of this document, we will appreciate your comments. Below that, they have a link to contact them at The Lawful Path. And that reads www.net1.com 
dot net forward slash like circumflex gallon forward slash capital TLP the lawful path so um, let me click that link and see what it takes us to it's a 404 it is a 404 on that so this is an older resource that we found here whoever pulled this together um, so I wonder who the lawful path was I'll have to follow up on them so here's the forward now I'm going to take my own advice smoke here with you for a moment. This manuscript was delivered to our offices by an unknown person. We did not steal the document, nor are we involved with any theft from the United States government. And we did not get the document by way of any dishonest methods. We feel that we are not endangering the, quote, national security by reproducing this document. Quite the contrary. It has been authenticated, and we feel that we are not only within our rights to publish it, but morally bound to do so. Regarding the training manual, you may have detected that we had to block out the marginal notes made, made by the selectee at the CIA training center, but I can assure you that the manual is authentic. It was printed for the purpose of introducing the selectee to the conspiracy. It has been authenticated by four different technical writers for military intelligence, one just recently retired who wants very much to have this manual distributed throughout the world, and one who is still employed as an electronics engineer by the federal government and has access to the entire series of training manuals. One was stationed in Hawaii and held the highest security clearance in the, na in the naval intelligence, and another who is now teaching at a university and has been working with the Central Intelligence Agency for a number of years and wants out before the axe falls on the conspirators. Man, I don't know if you guys can hear it, but my lisp is popping this morning. Try to keep it under control. We believed that the entire world should know about this plan. So we redistributed, so we distributed internationally 100 of these manuscripts to ask individuals at top-level positions their opinions. The consensus opinion was to distribute this to as many people as who wanted it, to the end that they would not only understand that, quote, war had been declared against them, but would be able to properly identify the true enemy to humanity signed by what looks to be an obvious nom de plume, Delamer Duverus, D-U-V-E-R-U-S. Preface. Conspiracy theories are nothing new to history. Plots to kill Caesar and overthrow Rome abounded. For instance, however, it is seldom that concrete clues to such plots come to light and are generally known. Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars 
an introduction programming manual. It was uncovered quite by accident on July 7, 1986, when an employee of Boeing Aircraft Company purchased a surplus IBM copier for scrap parts at a sale and discovered inside details of a plan hatched in the embryonic days of the Cold War, which called for control of the masses through manipulation of industry, people's pastimes, education, and political leanings. It called for a quiet revolution, pitting brother against brother, and diverting the public's attention from what is really going on. The document you are about to read is real. It is reprinted in its virgin form with diagrams as a touch of reality. So we're going to pause right there and allow our personal spider senses to tingle for just a moment. To me, this between the forward itself explaining the provenance of the document, ostensibly from some second or third hand recipient downstream from our Boeing surplus sale discoverer, which, by the way, personal note, though I've never really heavily shopped the formerly very well-known Boeing surplus sales, um, definitely gotten a few items second and third hand myself, uh, like through degrees of Kevin Bacon removed from friends who had shopped those surplus sales over the years. Very common to uh, for Boeing Corp, especially in the past. I don't know if they do it as much these days or to the extent that they once did. Maybe online marketplaces have made it possible for them to actually realize even better, you know, profits from selling old equipment. But there was a time when you could go to Boeing on any given weekend all summer long and there would be uh, warehouse surplus sales and you could buy old worksmen bicycles and trikes that they would ride around the factories. You could buy office furniture and um, fixtures like lamps and fans and things, again, that were just like a little too old that had been in service for a while and that they've since upgraded. And so I'm sure that things like office equipment, including computers and printers, have been sold there for many years. I feel like the surplus sales have wound down a bit with Boeing, but any of my Boeing friends who happen to listen to this, and I'm going to check in with a couple of my buddies on this, but any, anybody who is still close to the company, let me know if the Boeing surplus sales are still happening right now. Anyway, this all strikes me as very tantalizing, but also potentially carefully crafted in order to present the appearance of like a down-home authentic origin story. So I guess we're going to take this all with a big grain of salt like we should because I don't know Disinfo PSYOP Pro. I don't know what 
boxes this checks or if it's a genuine kernel of true information that's actually made it to the you know to the unwashed masses at, at our tier so yeah just a little reality check there after reading you know a preface that even sort of lets you know that we've got a conspiracy on our hands <laughs> below the table of contents which comes next which is navigable in this PDF doc I guess you can jump down to the different areas it's a pretty well crafted PDF it says here the following document dated May 1979 was found on July 7th 1986 in an IBM copier that had been purchased at a surplus sale. Top Secret Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars Operations Research Technical Manual TM-SW7905.1 Welcome aboard. This publication marks the 25th anniversary of the Third World War, called The Quiet War, being conducted using subjective biological warfare fought with silent weapons. This book contains an introductory description of this war, its strategies, and its weaponry. May 1979. What appears to be a document number? At the time in 79, they would call that a pound sign, but we'll call it a hashtag 74 1120. Security. It is patently impossible to discuss social engineering or the automation of a society, i.e., the engineering of social automation systems, in parentheses, silent weapons. On a national or worldwide scale, without implying extensive objectives of social control and destruction of human life, i.e., slavery and genocide. This manual is in itself an analog declaration of intent. Such a writing must be secured from public scrutiny. Otherwise, it might be recognized as a technically formal declaration of domestic war. Furthermore, whenever any person or group of persons in a position of great power and without full knowledge and consent of the public uses such knowledge and methodologies for economic conquest, it must be understood that a state of domestic warfare exists between said person or group of persons and the public. The solution of today's problems requires an approach which is ruthlessly candid, with no agonizing over religious, moral, or cultural values. 
you have qualified for this project because of your ability to look at human society with cold objectivity and yet analyze and discuss your observations and conclusions with others of similar intellectual capacity without the loss of discretion or humility. Such virtues are exercised in your own best interest. Do not deviate from them. setting them apart as special, right? If you're reading this, you're special. So it's a recruitment sort of opener. Back to it. Historical introduction. Silent weapon technology has evolved from operations research, in parentheses OR strategic and tactical methodology developed under military management in England during World War II. The original purpose of operations research was to study the strategic and tactical problems of air and land defense with the objective of effective use of limited military resources against foreign en enemies, i.e. logistics in parentheses. It was soon recognized by those in positions of power that the same methods might be useful for totally controlling a society, but better tools were necessary. Social engineering, in parentheses, the analysis and automation of a society, requires the correlation of great amounts of constantly changing economic information, in parentheses, data. So a high-speed computerized data processing system was necessary race ahead of society and predict when society would arrive for capitulation. Relay computers were too slow, but the electronic computer, invented in 1946 by J. Presper Eckert and John W. Mockley, filled the bill. The next breakthrough was the development of the simplex method of linear programming in 1947 by the mathematician George B. Danzig. Then, in 1948, the transistor, invented by J. Bardeen, W. H. Bertain, and W. Shockley, promised great expansion of the computer field by reducing space and power requirements. With these three inventions under their direction, those in positions of power strongly suspected that it was possible for them to control the whole world with the push of a button. Immediately, the Rockefeller Foundation got in on the ground floor by making a four-year grant to Harvard College, funding the Harvard Economic Research Project the study of the structure of the American economy. One year later, in 1949, the United States Air Force joined in. In 1952, the 
grant period terminated. At a high-level meeting of the elite was held to determine the next phase of social operations research. The Harvard project had been very fruitful, as is borne out by the publication of some of its results in 1953, suggesting the feasibility of economic, in parentheses, social engineering. They cited here in parentheses, studies in the structure of the American economy. Copyright 1953 by Wassily Leontief, International Science Press, Inc., White Plains, New York. Let's see if we can find that doc at all. Drop it into a little search. Live together. Leontief exists. We see a picture of him. Books.google.com. Looks like it might be findable. I want to find a PDF of this. Let's see if we can get there. Since this is pretty much the only doc cited. There we are. A little bit of an iffy link. I don't think I'm going to... I don't think we're going to click this one. It's spoopy, as Discord always warns us. All right, well. Oh, what do you know? I think I found it. Uh, you know what this is? This is a review of it. Interesting. Okay. If I am able to find the full doc, I will include it in the show notes for you. Studies in the Structure of the American Economy. Wassily Leontief is our author here. We're looking for the PDF of that doc. Cited in the early Harvard study. We're sort of publishing some of the results of the early Harvard study. Right, like we really haven't even begun yet with this thing, and it's crazy already, in my opinion. Is this where all the modern deep state conspiracies come from? Um, probably not. Some people were talking about a lot of aspects of what we'll go on to hear enumerated in this doc in... in in and around this period in the late 80s, early 90s, but it certainly wasn't, you know, there was no YouTube to distribute their theories then at that time, was there? Engineered in the last half of the decade of the 1940s, the new quiet war machine stood, so to speak, in sparkling gold-plated hardware on the showroom floor by 1954. With the creation of the Mazer in 1954, the promise of unlocking unlimited sources of fusion atomic energy from the heavy hydrogen in seawater 
and the consequent availability of unlimited social power was a possibility only decades away. I'm making a face right now because I know... I think most of us have seen some stories about how, like, the U.S. Navy has a ship somewhere that runs on seawater, or maybe more than one. You know, some sort of seawater fuel that they, they're able to get, you know, get at that hydrogen in the water. I don't... Are they real or not? I don't know. Um, I guess we could check check around on something like that, but it's an interesting note there. They go on. The combination was irresistible. The quiet war was quietly declared by the international elite at a meeting held in 1954. Although the silent weapons system was nearly exposed 13 years later, that's 1967, the evolution of the new weapon system has never suffered any major setbacks. And here they say, and I'll remind us all, this volume marks the 25th anniversary of the beginning of the Quiet War. Already this domestic war has had many victories on many fronts throughout the world. So it sort of sounds like an ongoing, never-ending project. Political introduction. In 1954, it was well recognized by those in positions of authority that it was only a matter of time, only a few decades, before the general public would be able to grasp and upset the cradle of power. For the very elements of the new silent weapon technology were as accessible for a public utopia as they were for providing a private utopia. The issue of primary concern, that of dominance, revolved around the subject of the energy sciences. Energy. Energy is recognized as the key to all activity on Earth. Natural science is the study of the sources and control of natural energy and social science, theoretically expressed as economics, is the study of the sources and control of social energy. Both are bookkeeping systems, mathematics. Therefore, mathematics is the primary energy science. And the bookkeeper can be king if the public can be kept ignorant of the methodology of the bookkeeping. All science is merely a means to an end. The means is knowledge. The end is control. Beyond this remains only one issue. Who will be the beneficiary? In 1954, this was the issue of primary concern. Although the so-called moral issues, in quotes, were raised, in view of the law of natural selection, it was agreed that a nation or world of people who will not use their intelligence are no better than animals who do not have intelligence. Such people are beasts of burden, and stakes on the table 
by choice and consent. Yikes. Utilitarian in the extreme. Consequently, in the interest of future world order, peace and tranquility, it was decided to privately wage a quiet war against the American public, with an ultimate objective of permanently shifting the natural and social energy, in parentheses wealth, of the undisciplined and irresponsible many into the hands of the self-disciplined, responsible, and worthy few. In order to implement this objective, it was necessary to create, secure, and apply new weapons, which, as it turned out, were a class of weapons so subtle and sophisticated in their principle of operation and public appearance as to earn for themselves the name Silent Weapons. In conclusion, the objective of economic research as conducted by the magnets of capital in parentheses banking, and the industries of commodities, in parentheses goods, and services, is the establishment of an economy which is totally predictable and manipulatable. I'm not even making the observation. We're making it together right now that we're in the midst of a massive manipulation of the entire world's economies on a scale we've not seen since, I don't know, maybe ever, maybe the Spanish flu epidemic about a hundred years ago. as we speak. So, in order to achieve a totally predictable economy, the low-class elements of society must be brought under total control, i.e., must be housebroken, trained, and assigned a yoke and long-term social duties from a very early age before they have an opportunity to question the propriety of the matter. In order to achieve such conformity, the lower class family unit must be disintegrated by a process of increasing preoccupation of the parents and the establishment of government-operated daycare centers for occupationally orphaned children. The quality of education given to the lower class must be of the poorest sort, so that the moat of ignorance isolating the inferior class from the superior class is and remains incomprehensible to the inferior class. 
With such an initial handicap, even bright lower class individuals have little, if any, hope of extricating themselves from their assigned lot in life. This form of slavery is essential to maintain some measure of social order, peace, and tranquility for the ruling upper class. Descriptive Introduction of the Silent Weapon Everything that is expected from an ordinary weapon is expected from a silent weapon by its creators, but only in its manner of functioning. It shoots situations instead of bullets, propelled by data processing, instead of chemical reaction, explosion, originating from bits of data, instead of grains of gunpowder, from a computer instead of a gun, operated by a computer programmer instead of a marksman, under the orders of a banking magnet instead of a military general. It makes no obvious explosive noises, causes no obvious physical or mental injuries, and does not obviously interfere with anyone's daily social life. Yet, it makes an unmistakable noise, causes unmistakably physical and mental damage, and unmistakably interferes with daily social life, i.e., unmistakable to a trained observer, one who knows what to look for. The public cannot comprehend this weapon, and therefore cannot believe that they are being attacked and subdued by a weapon. The public might instinctively feel that something is wrong, but that is because of the technical nature of the silent weapon. They cannot express their feeling in a rational way or handle the problem with intelligence. Therefore, they do not know how to cry for help and do not know how to associate with others to defend themselves against it. When a silent weapon is applied gradually, the public adjusts, adapts to its presence, and learns to tolerate its encroachment on their lives until the pressure, psychological via economic, becomes too great, and they crack up. Therefore, the silent weapon is a type of biological warfare. It attacks the vitality, options, and mobility of the individuals of a society by knowing, understanding, manipulating, and attacking their sources of natural and social energy and their physical, mental, and emotional strengths and weaknesses. Okay, well, I don't know about you, but those last couple paragraphs really give me pause right now. Uh, so much so that I actually 
I think this is a great place to cut her off for today. This is a big doc still. Um, we're about seven pages in to what is in total 41 pages of PDF. There are several, several pages of diagrams and technical drawings that are a lot like um, when you see them, should you look at the doc itself, you'll anyone who's ever worked with wiring diagrams, electrical wiring diagrams, will know immediately what we're looking at. And in fact, we're going to get into a theoretical and then practical introduction of the nitty-gritty concepts in the next few pages of the report here that will greatly liken this entire mechanism, these silent weapons, to an electrical circuit of some kind. Um, there's a lot more here, you guys. There's a lot more here. So, and it just gets more interesting. But let's pause here and think about it a little bit. I will chop this into a part one for you and get it out. And I'll immediately resume reading at page seven, the theoretical introduction to silent weapons for quiet wars in the next episode of Baked and Awake. It won't make you wait long for it. We'll have it out just in the next couple of days. I'm going to keep working on it today for you. But I think there's enough here to introduce the topic, give you something to think about, give you a reason to possibly peek at the document yourself ahead of time and then come on back and sit down with me in another couple days while we go through the rest of this and parse it. Okay, we're going to try to understand it somewhat meaningfully. I think right now, so far, it's speaking pretty plainly as to what these folks are about, ostensibly. I'm still not sure this isn't a giant mindfuck of some kind, but man, the amount of work that would have gone into that. Especially considering... This is old. This isn't new info. If this is a scam or a hoax, this isn't a new one. This is an older one. I'm talking, Bill Cooper introduced this back in 1991. Uh, if after you get this far in the podcast today and you're now hankering for more silent weapons for quiet wars uh, sort of analysis... Uh, my friends Bones and Tubbs didn't go through the entire doc verbatim, but they talked about a lot, and they talked about a lot of the Bill Cooper angle um, with this in in the in the treatment of the topic that they did uh, about a year ago, back in 2019. So it's the Bones and Tubbs podcast. I've mentioned them many times before. Maybe a few of you guys are subbed to both of us. Um, Roll back in their back catalog and check out their episode on Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars if you just can't wait for uh, my part two here, or even if you can, because it's a great listen anyway. Uh, the link for that episode will be, already is, included in the show notes for you, for sure. So, uh, before I sign off, I'm going to just acknowledge a comment that I got from a longtime listener, super great supporter of the podcast, and... Uh, real-life friend of mine, Derek, who did comment recently that, unfortunately for me, my belief 
Uh, this is uh, he was listening to my Dabpocalypse 2020 episode regarding Washington State's House Bill 2546, which is uh, regarding the potency of cannabis concentrates in the Washington State legal market and a proposal by uh, Washington legislators to limit that potency to no more than 10% cannabinoids, total cannabinoids. Uh, pretty serious stuff. Anybody who's a smoker probably knows what I'm talking about. If you want more information on that bill, which as of now has not left committee, as far as I can tell with my most recent check on the Olympia legislative website, the, the lawmakers website, I signed up for email notifications about this bill as well. And I've included a link for all of us to stay up to breast, you know, up to speed, excuse me, on on 2546. But Derek, uh, he corrected me. I wasn't sure about the study that was being cited uh, in the lawmakers' language for why this is so dangerous, why concentrates need to be limited to 10%, etc. But I had kind of indicated that I thought that the study, which I was not able to find yet, I haven't been able to find the actual study that they uh, reference in full, like the white paper, um, that this was about like... Packs, not packs, but uh, those jewels and uh, off-brand, off-market, black-market carts in non-legal states. Um, Derek got closer to the actual report. I think he found the report that he thinks was cited, and it does appear to have been like it was cannabis cartridges that were cited. Um, apparently, it was like those hot dog water gross you know, fake terp sauce carts that have been going around in California and other places. Um, so that's, you know, I mean, it's important to understand that hopefully they were citing somewhat relevant data with at least with their concerns for cannabis potency, cannabis concentrates potency. Um, we're not on that topic for today. As I say, we're tracking that issue. I heard it was squashed, but it doesn't show squashed on Olympia's website. It shows in committee still to me. So until I see that it's passed off the floor somehow and been you know, unsuccessful, uh, I consider this still a threat to us. But thank you, Derek, for keeping me honest, for always listening to the show, um, and for taking the time to comment and help us out. Uh, we're going to keep tracking on 2546, though. Right now, cannabis businesses have been deemed essential by the state, so they can stay open. They haven't released any cannabis prisoners from jail here in Washington State that I'm aware of, um, although we have done a commutation of old sentences and things like that and like uh, some sort of automatic elimination from your criminal record if you've got an old possession on your record or something here in the state which is kind of nice but anywho uh, all right everybody you guys are great silent weapons for quiet wars is absolutely wild and we're really just ramping up with it so um look for that coming very very soon i'm tracking on some scary stories about what our legislators are doing to us all while we're distracted with the coronavirus pandemic and I'm hoping to include at least one of them towards the end of the next episode of the show as sort of a bumper on the end of the Silent Weapons to Quiet Wars 
uh, front because it actually, in my opinion, relates to that story, to this report. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's listening to the show once again all around the world in amazing places. Um, when I look on my dashboard for Libsyn and I see places like Malta listed and I see uh, South Africa listed on my map and, and showing downloads when I see people in Ecuador listening to baked and awake and i'm not talking like two downloads i'm in some place like ecuador like 17 downloads in the last couple of months that's probably not 17 downloads by accident i hope so <laughs> i really hope uh if you're listening to this podcast from somewhere wild email me anytime say hello let me know where you are i'd love to thank you for listening on the show the email address is always the same talk to us at bakedandawake.com Check out the website. I work hard on it. There's a lot of stuff to explore and check out. You can find the whole catalog of episodes there on the website or at least access them through my website, bakedandawake.com. Um, get out in those gardens, you guys. Question me anytime about the garden. Be, I would love to have individual conversations with any of you about gardening, about backyard farming, homesteading, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and finally, I want to thank uh, Paula Sleepwrecker, a listener who found the podcast through, of all places, Imgur, where I posted, like, my uh, my Rob Zaos designed bubble letter logo just for fun a few months back. Uh, but it's my first review in months, and I'm so happy to get it on the iTunes store. Paula Sleepwrecker wrote, I forgot your Imgur tag but I've been binge listening ever since I found your post and I am loving it. So Paula, thank you. And I did see your review and I'm sorry you left it back in December and I'm only getting around to thanking you now. So I hope you're still with us. I really do. And it was just a delight. I felt a thrill. I haven't seen a new review since like, I don't know, last October sometime. So thank you guys. Um, let me know what you thought about today's episode. And find me on the Instagrams, find me on YouTube. I'm really quick to reply to comments on YouTube. So, you know, a lot of podcasts, when you're listening to it in a podcast app, you can't give the person direct feedback about how you felt, about what you saw, about what you listened to. Um, but YouTube makes that oh so easy. So it's just a nice companion to the, you know, the actual podcast. There's a lot of original content on my channel on YouTube as well, video content that I've made for you. So again, for my podcast listeners who have yet to make it over to the YouTube side of things, please go check that out. Chasing down a thousand subscribers. I'm in the 900s now. That's a big milestone on YouTube. When you get up over a thousand, you get a couple little features and tools as a creator on your website. It's not like an automatic ticket to monetization or anything like that, but it's a step in the right direction. So uh, love to hear from you. Okay, everybody. Uh, I got a lot of work to do in the garden today too, so I'm going to get to editing this episode for you and get it out and uh, lay a little music in for some feel and uh, just love you guys all to death and um, absolutely loving working on the podcast on my new setup. I uh, can't wait to really begin to flex this new machine's muscles and, and figure out how to do even more with it. And I've, I've really kept my production value super minimal uh, up to this point because, frankly, it's been everything my little system could do just to get the podcast out to you guys. So um, 2020, 
It's a wild year, but I'm armed and dangerous in the computing department now. And I got high-speed internet. I had that. So we're still coming. Don't worry about the pace. The quality should be there for you every time. It was a quiet month. We've all been locked up at home with our families, going crazy. Not sure if the world was ending or not, but let's keep it going. Let's keep doing what we can, like we have been, together. Smoke that indica, you guys. Do shit anyway. We'll see you soon.